Whoop, whoop, whoop. So many exciting things to tell you. I'm going to keep it short and simple. Number one, my book is now free, a digital version of my book, Building Simple Habits to a Healthy Me. You can just sign up and get it for free. Number two, come and say hello on Instagram. I'm having fun on Instagram doing exciting reels. Number three, I have four amazing packages for my Positively Healthy program called Magical May exciting exciting if you want to find out more book a call and let's chat and lastly remember radiate and renew four simple habits simple but mighty habits is starting may the 15th so come and sign up for that Welcome to Fit and Fabulous with me, Dr. Orlina Carrick. I teach busy mums who are trying to juggle everything to transform their lives, to lose weight and lead a healthy life so they can feel fit and fabulous. On the Fit and Fabulous podcast, we chat about nutrition, healthy living, emotional wellness in a way that you can apply to your life. I'll show you how to stop being frustrated and overwhelmed with healthy living and how to make it fun and easy. You're invited to sign up to my free New Me workshop. Change your mindset to healthy living in five days. Get to the bottom of those I can't do it thoughts and transform them into wow, it's so easy and fun. You can sign up at drorlina.com slash new me. That's doctor, D-R-O-R-L-E-N-A dot com slash new line in the middle, me. Today we are talking about gluten and Dr. Ashley Bardwaj is a functional medicine GP in London. She treats people um, on site and she also treats people over the internet. So really super exciting area of medicine that she is in and she's going to talk to us about gluten today which is really quite a controversial area and I think we're beginning to see more information, more research around this topic and this idea that gluten is a very inflammatory process. And as you have heard on the podcast, inflammation is one of the mechanisms that drives a lot of problems. For example, cardiology. Now, I'm not saying that gluten contributes to cardiac disease. It's not as simple as that. And I love this controversy of what do we know, what do we don't know, and I like exploring the nitty gritty and that bit in the middle of should I eat lots of it or should I exclude it? Now, this is what we're going to talk about today. And Dr. Ash says that we should all try a period of time without gluten. Now, if you would like some help with that, please feel free to contact me and I can chat to you about that. So on with today's show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fit and Fabulous. I am Dr. Orlina Carrick and I am super excited to welcome Ash to talk to us about gluten. Thank you for being here, Ash. You are welcome, my love. Okay, let's dive in and we're going to start from the beginning. And can you tell us what gluten is, please? Yes. Okay, so gluten, I'm going to keep it really simple because I think that sometimes when we overcomplicate it, it clearly gets too complicated. Gluten is basically a a protein, okay? It's a protein found in wheat. Uh, It's not just found in wheat, though. It can be found in other foods as well, such as other grains, other non-wheat grains. That's that's as simple as I'm going to keep it. It is a protein found in wheat. Okay, (laughs) fabulous. Can we just quickly talk about celiac disease? 
and get that out of the way, really. Um, and so could you just explain to us what celiac disease is? Yeah. Okay, so look, celiac disease is an autoimmune condition. What that means is you, you basically, your body is fighting itself. That's what an autoimmune condition means. Um, it was first kind of described back in the first century when all these kids were like failing to thrive and grow and nobody really knew what it was. And then fast forward to the 1950s and it was um, uh, actually a Dutch physician who kind of coined the term celiac disease. So celiac disease is a very kind of severe gluten allergy, should we say. Um, patients who have celiac disease could have like literally a morsel of gluten, uh, gluten containing food or other product. And they're probably like potentially just rush off to the toilet. Um, it causes a lot of destruction of your gut and it can be as serious as death. So it's a pretty, it's a pretty serious condition to be taken, you know, to be taken into consideration when uh, doctors are seeing their, um, seeing their patients. Yeah. And these are the people, just to clarify, that have to exclude gluten from their diet forever, full stop. And there's like, there's absolutely no debate about that amongst medical yeah, people exactly. or anyone else. Like, it, you know, it can, as I said, it can, symptoms can range from like death, kind of pretty imminent death to, to such severe gastrointestinal symptoms that people don't absorb their nutrients. And, and yeah, so it's, it's very dangerous and they cannot have gluten ever. And as someone who's worked with children in this, it's often diagnosed um, in childhood. It can be a difficult diagnosis to make because the symptoms, I know they can be gastrointestinal, but often they can just be very nonspecific. So typically you might see a child who isn't growing and you don't really understand why. And it can actually manifest later on in life or rather it can come out later on in life, partly because it's been missed or people haven't seen it. So I think that's all we really need to say about celiac disease, just to cover that. But beyond... Although, yeah, go I on. would love to, if you don't mind, talk about celiac disease testing. Okay, go on. A lot of people that I've seen over the years are like, well, I you know, went to my GP, they tested me for celiac and I was clear. Um, you know, wheat, when it's broken down, again, trying to keep the science really simple, breaks down into a good 10 to 13 components, shall we say, in the, in the, in the body. OK, when we when a, when a doctor, a standard kind of GP in the UK, at least, um, tests for celiac disease, they're testing for two, two components only. So can you imagine if somebody had some of the other eight you know, sensitivities to some of the other ones um, and they had a celiac disease and their GP says, well, no, you didn't have those two components. So, no, you don't have celiac disease. Go and eat as much bread as you want to. I mean, that's completely unethical because yeah, you know, I, celiac I, disease lead to death. How can you how can you go to your doctor? They do a, a test, which is basically only 20 percent, you know, possibly going to show that you have celiac disease and say, you're fine. Go ahead. Go ahead and, and, and eat these foods. Yeah, I think what you're saying, and that's the blood test you're talking about, isn't it? And so you can get what's called a false negative, where yep. it comes back saying it's negative, but actually that's not true. Um, so if it's excluded, yeah, it might be that you still have it. And but if it comes back positive, you do have it. So yeah, happy days. But like, did you know in America, only about um, I think it's something like. Um, 17% or so of people who have celiac disease are actually diagnosed with celiac disease. The rest of them are kind of just wandering around going, wow. I don't have celiac disease. That is amazing. I had no idea that that was such a big... Statistic, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Like, and bear in mind, it's an autoimmune disease, as I said, right? And these autoimmune diseases tend to go hand in hand with other autoimmune diseases. What's one of the most commonest autoimmune diseases in children? Type 1 diabetes. So are we actually missing all of these as well? Potentially. Okay. He's testing. I mean, yes, if you get a positive diagnosis, cool, you know that you've got it. But if you get a negative diagnosis and you keep on eating this this substance without realizing you're intolerant to it, it is, as I said, potentially pretty dangerous. Okay. So celiac um, celiac disease aside, and let's presume we're talking to people who aren't celiac, there's still a big controversy about gluten. So can you explain what's going on and what the big deal is and what the sort of more current thinking is than previously? Okay, sure. So I think for like most of the time, we've only known about celiac disease in, in terms of gluten. Um, over the past couple of decades, obviously, with, with, the, with the rise of like functional medicine and whatnot, we're beginning to realize that gluten and other components that kind of act like gluten are causing severe havoc with our diets. So non-celiac gluten sensitivity or wheat sensitivity is this kind of emerging disease where up to, I think, again, the statistics have shocked me. I've done a bit of research on for this podcast because, uh, yeah, you just obviously refresh my knowledge. And I think up to about 50% of Americans, uh, again, a lot of statistics happen to be from America, I'm sorry, um, 50% of Americans have this non-celiac gluten sensitivity. 50%, that's one in two. Sorry, so I what, exactly, what exactly is this, in, this sensitivity? It's basically where you have issues with gluten or wheat, but you don't have celiac disease. Does that make sense? So you don't have this autoimmune defined condition of celiac disease, but you do have a severe sensitivity or or a mild sensitivity to wheat. What about people who don't have non-celiac gluten sensitivity? I think what I'm trying to get at is I've been reading lots about inflammation and gluten being a pro-inflammatory. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Um, again, yeah, let's keep the science simple, but inflammation within the body is basically, you know, one of the root causes of most kind of chronic diseases. Many, many things can cause inflammation within your body. The most common things are obviously your high sugar diets, your processed foods, your trans fats, your refined foods. But unfortunately, and I'm saying unfortunately because grains are are a wonderful food in some respects, but unfortunately they do cause a lot of inflammation within the body. And gluten is probably one of the most highly um, uh, inflammatory agents in the body. Why? Because it's one of the kind of four massive genetically modified crops in in the whole wide world. Um, So it's so genetically modified. And the minute you kind of start modifying with someone's, you know, with with something's genetics, it's, it's certainly not a natural food anymore. So that's probably one of the biggest reasons that gluten itself is highly inflammatory. Yeah. And then think about the foods that gluten comes in. So we're looking everything, at everything, everything. <laughs> Don't get me started. But those foods themselves, the high in carbohydrates, and I'm not anti-carb in none of this stuff, but, um, you know, we are eating way too much carbohydrate that's another podcast as i know so basically it's just it's the sheer amount we are having it so you know um this kind of leads nicely to the whole hold on haven't we been having gluten forever and one of the things is well yes kind of um but not to the extent we're having it now i mean if you look at a standard english diet 
Breakfast is toast or cereal, okay? And it can be a really healthy cereal like oats. Well, guess what? They have a similar structure to gluten. So, or toast. So there you go. Most people are already having gluten in the morning. Then comes mid-morning snack, possibly a granola bar if you're being healthy, gluten, bam. Lunch, sandwich, most common consumed lunch item in the UK, gluten. Snack again, maybe some digestive, low-fat biscuits, dinner, pasta. I mean, come on. Yeah, it's very difficult. I think it is very difficult. Just um, backtracking slightly and going back to this genetically modified thing. When I was in the States last summer, I was talking to a lady who was um, a nutritionist. And she was saying that actually in the United States, the wheat that they have there is much, much higher in gluten than it is in Europe. It's like 30% higher. I'll have to look at the statistics that she told me, but that the gluten there, the wheat there has a lot more gluten in the wheat in Europe, which is just an interesting point. Um, and I think that is because they have far more genetically modified. Technically in Europe, we don't have genetically modified crops. I know that's a slightly controversial statement, but in theory, we shouldn't do. They aren't really permitted, but whether they actually get through or not is another question. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, you know, if you if you looked at not just forget bread for a second or gluten, if you just looked at any food, the way it has changed over the past, you know, couple of centuries is it is insane. Well, even the last like five decades, look at the way Absolutely. we've. So yeah. look, let let's not be naive, okay? I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm certainly not into any kind of politics, but oh, know, I am. <laughs> I know you are. Yay for you, but I'm not because honestly, I'd probably just get too depressed if I started like you know, kind of looking into politics into too much detail. But my point is, gluten is addictive. Yep, I've said it. Gluten's Tell me about the addiction. Tell us about the addiction. Sure. So there are um, uh, components in certain foods. So. Grains are some of them. Dairy is another one. That actually, when they break down, they have products. So in 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 gluten, it's gluteomorphs. In dairy, it's caseinomorphs or something. I could be pronouncing that incorrectly. The word morphs kind of derives from morphine. So what that means is when we eat bread, these gluteomorphs get released in the digestive system. They actually go up to our brain and give us a similar high as to if we were taking some morphine or heroin. Okay. Over time, this gets dulled down, dulled down, just like it does with any kind of addiction. Okay. So these American manufacturers, they know that gluten is addictive. They're not stupid. It's like sugar. It's like the how sugar's always at the front of the supermarkets. Like they know. So hey, how, what can we do to get our Americans more and more addicted to bread? Let's up the gluten content. I mean, that's me being negative. Glue, gluten comes from the Latin Latin word for glue. So it obviously glues foods together and gives foods that lovely kind of bouncy texture like bread has. If anybody's ever had any gluten-free foods, they know that they are crap. They taste horrible <laughs> because they don't have the gluten in them. And I'm look, I'm a foodie at heart. So, you know, if I'm going to make bake, I, I just use I use normal flour because I'm a foodie at heart. And I know about the science of, of gluten and, and its necessity. But yeah, well, you know, that doesn't surprise me that the, the, the quantity has, has increased that much. Okay. One of the things I wanted to ask you about was um, different symptoms that can be attributed to gluten. And I know that this is, 
I think it's a really interesting area. And I know that symptoms of various things can always, it's, it can be difficult to say, yep, that symptom comes from here to there. But we talked about this before, and I've read this in the literature that, you know, for example, there are neurological conditions which are now being treated with a gluten-free diet. And you've mentioned that you've come across some of these. So could you tell us a bit about strange and weird symptoms that you have cured by cutting out gluten? Uh, I'll talk about myself to start with. Um, I went completely gluten-free for a good three years of my life, and my um, eyesight prescription dropped a diopter. So I was minus 3.5. I'm now minus 2 to 2.5. And I'm not more long-sighted because that's what my um, eye eye doctor friends say. It's like you're getting older, so yes, your short-sightedness is going to get better, but your long-sightedness is going to get worse. Well, actually, that hasn't been affected at all. I've cured my shin splints, my plantar fasciitis, my brain fog, my feeling like I need a nap every time I eat lunch, um, any irritability around my periods. I mean, skin, hair, bowels, everything. So for the lay person, it's really hard because, because gluten affects primarily your gut and because most disease starts in the gut, it's pretty hard to kind of give you like an exhaustive list of symptoms. But if I chuck out some common ones, they're the ones that I just mentioned. So the brain fog is a big one. People come off gluten and they're like, suddenly they're like, I can think a lot clearer. You know, my brain just feels a bit more alert um, and they don't get that post lunch dip. Yeah, because they, because what gluten does, it's very high in high. It's a high GI. So it drops your sugar down quite fast. So you get a dip after you've had your sandwich. And I say to the same people, well, if you've had a salad with the same components or, or even some rice salad, how have you been? And they're like, oh, yeah, I'm a lot better. So it's interesting, isn't it? So mm-hmm. things like weird migraines, headaches, um, acne. Acne is a big one. Uh, not clear skin, uh, not, cl- you know, like dull, dull white of your eyes. Um, nasal stuff is big. So nasal congestion, runny nose, um, large adenoids, large tonsils, recurrent ear infections. I've gotten to here. Let's go down. Acid, acid reflux is one of the biggest ones that goes when people cut out gluten. Really? That's very interesting. Birth, well, it's, it's very acidic. Um, burping, belch, bloating. Bloating is a massive one that I see, you know, and they cut out wheat or whatever pasta. And like within a week, they're like, oh, my God, I can I can fit into my size, blah, blah, trousers again. Bloating, aches and pains. OK, gluten is very water retentive. So that's why when people go off gluten, suddenly their blood pressure drops a little bit because then they are actually not holding on to as much water as normal. Um, arthritis pains because, you know, they're not their joints aren't as fluid. Plus, their joints aren't as inflamed either. So honestly, a million... Can I just make sure I've got this right? So what you're basically saying is that gluten is something that will trigger an inflammatory process in our bodies. And if we reduce gluten, we reduce that inflammatory process. But that inflammatory process might be also triggered by other things like eczema or other things that are going on. And by reducing that, you're reducing the inflammatory process all over your body. That's exactly it. Um, So... If you find, and we'll talk about this in a second, that after doing a gluten test on yourself, which I want to talk about in a second, um, if you find that actually you have some gluten and you're okay, and I'm lucky to be one of those, um, you don't get too many symptoms, then yeah, what happens when you have gluten and other foods? Yes, I'm not, I don't want to just demonize gluten. It is things like dairy, I'm afraid. It is other grains as well, and obviously all the crap that we know about. They all trigger low-grade inflammation. So if you are, the rest of your diet's incredibly clean, and then you have a gluten product, and suddenly those aches and pains return, 
Yeah, they could. Uh, do they return on a 10 out of 10 basis or do they return on a 1 out of 10 basis? Let's just say you therefore then have your rough gluten tolerance. Do you know what I mean? So you can you then know, OK, uh, if I have um, a slice of pizza, my tummy's going to hurt a little bit. I'm going to be a bit brain foggy, but it's going to last six days, only, uh, six hours only. And I'll deal with it because I really want that pizza. Or you can say I can have a slice of pizza and chances are I'm going to be running to the toilet for a week. I'm going to get all achy and painy. My blood pressure is going to go through the roof again. Your gluten tolerance is very poor. And it's probably in those patients where I'd say, just get rid of it. It's so, not okay. needed. So it's a bit like alcohol on Friday night when we choose to have a glass of wine we enjoy our glass of wine knowing that we are not going to feel sprightly on Saturday morning um and that's the choice we make I can't believe it's just one glass we talk about nowadays as opposed to one bottle like what's happened to us (laughs) that is another conversation for another day but you're totally right (laughs) well you know all of these things unfortunately as fun as they are and as tasty and nice as they are do cause issues in the body But, you know, my take on it is that life is for living. And as I said to you, more than a doctor, I'm a foodie. More than a nutritionist, I'm a foodie. More than a personal trainer, I'm a foodie. You know, I I love food. I love cooking. I love getting my kid involved. Now, I I couldn't, I personally can't lead, this is my personal thing, yeah? I can't lead a 100% restrictive life of, of anything, just like you. You know, you're a foodie as well. You've got four kids. And you know, if my daughter really, really wants pasta, she's going to get normal wheat pasta. I'm not really into gluten-free, but you know, I do have some people who eat things like pasta on a regular basis. We don't. We'll have it once every six weeks or so okay. as a treat. Yeah, I think that's totally true. And what I always say to people is that nutrition is a really personal choice. And it's personal for two reasons. Partly how nutrition affects your body like we're talking about this like some people have celiac disease some people have non-gluten sensitivity some people can tolerate gluten so that's one aspect and the complications there's so many different permutations that go into what you can and can't tolerate and secondly it's exactly what you say what we enjoy and what we don't enjoy and finding that balance of how you know we take the pros with the cons and I think it's I agree with you 100%. It's about living life, but finding a way of living life that we enjoy that is also as beneficial as it can possibly be. So talking about that, lead us on to the next question. So if I am sitting here and thinking, okay, now I have these strange symptoms or I would just like to know, what do I do? Okay, so look, I've researched this a lot because I knew you were going to ask me number one. (laughs) I I get asked this a lot as well. And, you know, back when I was a GP, I would be like, well, do your celiac test. Oh, it's come back negative. You're fine. Right. Unethical. Um, Honest to God, for any kind of intolerances, and this comes from allergies, like people who have allergies, eczema, all of this kind of stuff, the gold standard test is elimination. It's just complete elimination. Testing is, okay, if you're, you're having it in the UK, we've already discussed the two out of 10, you know, nonsense. Australia, I mean, uh, America, I think you have to pay or something. I don't know. So there's suddenly cost involved. Yeah. And that's a big, a big thing, a big barrier for many people. So standard gold standard test, eliminate, eliminate for 60 days. Okay. Um, really? For 60 gonna, days. That's two months. Six zero, two months. Yeah. Okay. okay. And, and just, don't don't do anything 
specifically. And now I know when we were talking the other day, you were kind of saying, okay, but if people are going to eliminate for 60 days, then hold on, they're potentially going to cut out things like breads and pastas and cereals and bagels and all that stuff. So won't their health benefits possibly be attributed to to that as well? And I'm thinking, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. So it could just be that they've cut out all the crap and not that they've cut out the gluten. So that's why you then do a reintroduction test. Sherry, can I just put you, can I just put you on pause? So before we do the reintroduction test, when you talk about excluding gluten, you have to be really careful about this because it hides in secret places, doesn't it? So you have to check all your packets to make sure that they don't have gluten. For example, soya sauce sometimes has random gluten added to it. Potato crisps have gluten added to it. So you have to be really careful about exactly what you exclude. And then I would go further than that and say, okay, you need to find something to replace it with. So I think doing an exclusion for two months is not necessarily easy. I mean, it is easy on one level if you're prepared, but it does take a bit of time to think about it and actually stick to it. Do you have any tips for that? Oh, yeah. Personally, quickly, I also want to tell you that gluten is in random things like lipsticks and Play-Doh and lip balm and envelopes and stamps and shampoos and makeup and cosmetics. Why? Why do they put it in these things? So, yeah, you. thank God we're pretty stringent on, 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 on food labeling. So really, really check your labels. Okay, look, this is a new, again, you're going to ask me this question as well. <laughs> only because Orlina and I have, we talk so much about nutrition and food. So um, as she said, she loves being devil's advocate. And I love it because it then makes, it makes me think. Anything that gets me thinking, you know, gets me excited. So, um, yes, it is hard. Um, what I say is how bad is your pain? And now this is for an adult. Okay, let's deal with adults first, if you don't mind. Okay, by adult, I mean like 14 plus, 15 plus. I'm like, how bad is your pain? How bad is your obesity, your acne, your bloating, your your blah, blah, whatever symptom that I basically think is probably down to gluten. Now, if they say, yeah, doc, you know what? My, my self-esteem's in my boots because I'm, I've got really bad acne or blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, okay, so you've got a couple of choices. And I'm, I'm quite black and white when it comes to adults. I'm like, listen. You are on 10 drugs, your waist size is too big, you're bloated, you're this, you're that, you're this, you're that. And I'm telling you that removing one little thing from your diet can potentially sort out all of these things. You choose. If I'm honest, I almost don't have, this is a, my personality trait, I don't have the patience to sit there and, and with an adult and say, this is not good for you, just get rid of it, will you? Okay, so, pe- so Ash, let me interrupt. People who... Those people, you can send them to me. I'm happy to do coaching with people. This is what I totally love. Why do you decide you want to make a decision and then don't make it? That's my bread and butter. That's where I can come and help your, your patient. <laughs> no, I'll just pass them on to you because I said I don't have the patient, but patience for that. <laughs> That's not my skill set. That's not in my Clifton Strength Finder. Um, <laughs> so what do you do? Okay, look, bearing in mind, okay, when people are coming to me going, I want to, what, the whole gluten thing, this is a health transformation that they're after. So if, if I'm going to be a perfectionist about it, I then say, can we just change your concept of breakfast? Can we just get you eating things like vegetables, salads, avocados, maybe some gluten-free um, uh, sprouted oats uh, or something like that, maybe last night's dinner? That's the ideal scenario. Change your thinking around these yeah, foods. Yeah, totally. If you can't, then try some healthier non-gluten alternatives whilst you're doing your 60-day thing, okay? So you have got things like um, 
Uh, <laughs> quinoa, sorghum, teff, amaranth millet, all these kind of other vegetables, grains. lots of healthy vegetables. Mate, look, seriously, if I could it's get all the about world, the vegetables. Always been about the vegetables. I love veggies. I just love them. I think uh, I should read I think I should rename my podcast. It's all about the vegetables. Absolutely. It's all about the veggies. Um so yeah, so look, my my the, in an ideal scenario, because we're wanting you to get super healthy, I say you need to just change your concept. And and then I'll often use other cultures, like you know, um, like South America, they'll have rice and refried beans for, for breakfast. Uh, you know, China and all of all Japan, they'll have the congee, the rice again. Like, you know, it's a, it's very, it's a very westernized diet, yeah. cereal toast nonsense. So that's, that's what I would say to, that's the ideal scenario. Okay? okay. So this person has managed to do, they've managed to get through their 60 days without any gluten. And presumably if you've got little bits of gluten hiding in crisps and things like that, it is going to affect your personal experiment, isn't it? Because you aren't going to feel as good. It could, like a small amount can, if you're sensitive to gluten, a small amount can still trigger that. Unfortunately, inflammatory yeah, process. Yeah, it's really about reading 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 i think because we are living in such an allergic western world right now uh our labeling is is pretty good so even shampoos now say gluten-free <laughs> right okay so we've got 60 days and we've managed to go okay no gluten what do we do now so you you've done your thingy and you will feel amazing yeah. because like I can literally guarantee you, everybody will benefit from this. Every single person in the whole wide world. Even me. I already feel amazing and I eat not heaps of gluten, but a bit. And I blame my children because they are just carb junkies. Um, and, you know, in all honesty, my children eat a very healthy diet compared yeah. to other children. But I would like it to be more healthy. Um, so, you know, we do still have more carbs and pasta and bread they're kids that's what i'm saying i'm not about this whole low carb low carb low carb for everybody my daughter no i agree i agree with that i think that is something but you know it's a training ground i always say um so yeah we've got to the end and no sorry the question was am i like i already feel fit and fabulous and amazing with my little bit of gluten so am i going to get benefits from this or do you think i need to try it perhaps this is a challenge that we need to do and when this recording comes out i can say okay everyone i'm going to do this for two months come and join me i'll join you as well because i'm I'm back on gluten not often but i'm on it i think yes yes my stance is still yes because even um as yeah because it it's inflammatory so it could just be an even subtle inflammation that is causing something. I mean, I don't think as humans we are, yeah, we, most of us are quite self-aware of our bodies and our emotions, but we're not that aware. I mean, me and my shin splint, I couldn't, I didn't even realize it had gone. It had gone for about six months or so. And all I had done was get off gluten. I was still on dairy, but you know, I was, I'd gotten off gluten. So it was, it was a lot of thinking for me to put the two and two together. So yeah, I do think, Orlina, I do think it's worth you and me doing and, and putting my... Okay. You know, I am, I am taking up the challenge. So we will, we'll discuss this after the, um, recording. Can we do and the birth of our February birthdays, please. <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's come back to this and I'll edit the podcast so that I'll explain what we're doing. But so let's move on. And, um, what do we do about reintroducing it? And what's the purpose of reintroducing it? The purpose, so once we've had two months off the stuff, okay, that's going to give your body a really good chance to basically 
heal out and pokes these little holes into your gut, okay? Called leaky gut. Sorry, did, you just, say, did you just say that again? Because I think the internet dropped out. Oh, okay, sorry. Um, so gluten, amongst other things, can poke little holes into your gut, okay? Which, keeping it really simple, can completely um, affect your digestion and especially your absorption of important uh, food uh, substances, okay? So in the two months that you, you're off it, your gut should have healed and the inflammation will have gone down dramatically. Now, of course, if you're still eating all that other stuff that's inflammatory, then the inflammation will go down but it won't go down completely. But what other again, stuff? What other stuff? But bearing, like, like for example, like processed food, gluten-free processed food. When I ask people to come off gluten for two months, do the two-month challenge, I say to them, gluten-free. I know we're, we're backtracking for a second, sorry, but I think it's important. If people are going to do this, they know how to do that 60-day challenge. And what I would say is, look, if you're an adult, just do it, for God's sakes. If you are thinking about your kids or teenagers where it's a little bit difficult, then, you know, we talked about other other grain options. And then I would say have a gluten-free entire meal once a week to give yourself that kind of feeling of, you know, you're not missing out. But, you know, that's an ideal way to do it. But if you kind of go, right, doctor, I'm going to do the 60 days, but I'm just going to buy gluten-free cornflakes and gluten-free Hovis and gluten-free this and gluten-free shampoo, you're not going to get the best benefits because you're having all of these other um, gluten-free foods are full of other very inflammatory starches as well. So I I say if you're going to go gluten-free, just do it properly. So then back to the reintroducing. So after two months of doing this, you reintroduce it. And you just wait. You just reintroduce a little bit. So say you've finished your 60 days. You're like, right, it's Monday morning. Do you know what? I'm going to have a piece of toast for breakfast today. And then and don't have anything else. Don't have any other gluten foods. And wait up to about five days and just see how you feel. And this can be anything from all of those things that we chatted about. It might be a nice idea, Alina, for me to draw up a little diagram for you to talk about all uh, for your audience, our audience, to see all the symptoms that gluten can cause. So, yeah, so you, you have a little bit on a Monday morning, for example, and you just wait for about five to seven days to see if your headaches come back, your acne comes back, how you feel after lunch, how you feel in the morning, aches and pains, brain fog, anxiety, mood disturbances, the works, because you, you'll know it. You'll know it. It's it's not like uh, it's not shroud in mystery. You will suddenly kind of go, oh crap, that was the bread, wasn't it? It will pop likely to be something gastrointestinal, like bloating, probably one of the most common things. And then you know, after five days, you can maybe introduce another bit of gluten. So you can have some toast in the morning and then maybe some pasta in the evening. And then again, wait five days and see how you go. Now, suddenly, you might find that you're like, just got constant diarrhea, or you become super irritable. It's a good idea, as I said, for the whole family to do this as well. And so, you know, your partners might notice something about you, your children might notice something about you. Now, say after 60 days, you have something like bread, or pasta, whatever, and you literally do not feel any different at all. You are... You're gluten, you're gluten tolerant. You can handle it. I'm like that. I can handle it. Does that mean we should still eat it if we are gluten tolerant? I'm sorry. I still think no. I mean, I, 
I'm racking my brain to think of the health nutrients of bread or pasta. That you and can't a, get somewhere else, for example, like just glucose, just energy, that you can get that. It's kind of... I, I, I've done so much research on this because, you know, there's a lot of incorrect information out there about the Mediterranean diet being, you know, 11 portions of grains a day and all this nonsense. It 11 is, portions of grain a day? No, that's not right. 7 to 11. <laughs> that's some, uh, one of the UK uh, food pyramids on the bottom. 7 to 11 portions of grains per day. Is that actually not- a week? No, a day. That's, a, that's a, not in the... Hey, anyone who wants to know about the Mediterranean-style diet, I have done a podcast on it, and I have got a handout on exactly what it was that, on the PrediMed study that they did, it lists exactly what they gave. And it wasn't four to seven um, things of great. I've done it as a handout, actually, so people can sign up and get exactly what it was. But it was definitely not four to um, seven to 11 portions of grain a day. I think it was a week. Well, the UK food pyramid is per day. That's incorrect. I'm sorry. I'm just sure that that is incorrect. A while ago, so it's probably changed since a lot of the new information is out there. But anyway, we're digressing. My point is, should we be eating it if we are completely tolerant? And as I said, no, because it's it's not a healthy food. There are healthier gluten-containing grains out there, okay? So you've got your kind of spelt bread or... um, The spelt is just wheat, isn't it? Just, yeah, it's 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 a different kind of. It's got less gluten in it. Spelt has got less gluten in it. Also, it's not flour. Like if you buy the spelt, you get the whole grain rather than just the middle bit. If you compare it, it yeah. looks so very very different. Unfortunately, our wheat in, across the entire world is highly processed. It's it's not. That's not even black and white. It is highly processed. Now you know people talk about fiber. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. 100 grams of quinoa offers three times the amount of fiber. And two slices of bread is about 120 grams of wheat, okay? So what, what are you talking about? People talk about B vitamins and, and all these other minerals. You know, again, I just, I just compared quinoa because it's a very common uh, grain that's becoming more and more in fashion. And it, quinoa trumps everything from wheat. And you can, where you would use wheat, you can also use quinoa. There are quinoa wraps, there are quinoa, you know, alternatives everywhere is my point. So I love a bit of quinoa. I'll think about quinoa. I better go and um, make my children's lunch. <laughs> Very nice. No. So what I did want to talk about, I think we've covered most things, but it would be interesting just to hear your gluten-free journey a little bit. You've touched on it, but, um, you know, the decision process that you made and, you know, where you are now, because you're talking about eating gluten. So perhaps just talk us through that a little bit. So look, I I started the whole gluten-free thing when I kind of started a paleo lifestyle, and that was back in 2011-ish. I, when I, when me and my ex were trying for our daughter, uh, because I knew that I needed to heal my body for a good three to four months preconception. I probably uh, went off it for completely off it for a good three to four years. I didn't eat gluten-free food. I just didn't. I just got rid of the idea of bread and pasta from my life. Do you see so what, what you mean? What did you eat? What was your during that time? What was your average day? My average day is the same then as it is now, which is half to three quarter plate full of vegetables and then a protein. It's that. So what do you what do you eat for breakfast? I don't. I fast, but my daughter eats. Uh, so today she had some red cabbage with some broccoli sprouts and some avocado and some raw spinach with some quail's eggs. 
That sounds delicious, but I could not imagine my kids having it for breakfast. Tomorrow she's going to get gluten-free rolled sprouted uh, sprouted oats. They cost a bomb. They're like four pounds for a packet of these fancy oats compared to like, you know, your bog standard oats for 50p. But I don't care. To me, cost of food, and I'd love to do a podcast with this, uh, with you on this, cost of food is something we shouldn't be, you know, we shouldn't be making big deals out of because we don't make a big deal out of when we have to pay for a handbag or a, or a nice meal in a restaurant or whatever, whatever. But somehow the thing about concept of paying paying good money for food is really seems to be lost on a lot of us. So, so yeah, back to, back to my journey. And that, so, so the whole kind of preconception, pregnancy, post-pregnancy, breastfeeding, zero gluten, zero. And I can't tell you, Alina, how healthy my pregnancy was. And I attribute this to low gluten because I did uh, no gluten, sorry, because I wasn't low carb or anything like that. I didn't have a single element of nausea, yet alone vomiting. I didn't have swelling of my legs. I didn't have brain fog. I'm sorry. That's not a pregnancy thing. That's a food that we're eating in pregnancy. Like, do you know what I mean? I think we, we put a lot of things on pregnancy. A, a lot of it is what we're eating or not eating. So I had an incredible pregnancy and my daughter, you know, I healed her eczema through a gluten-free diet. And then I think I, I, I was a bit too strict. So this is where it's important to learn and reflect. And what I realized was that my kid, more than me, um, was really like just like almost like staring at bread and staring at pastries. And she kind of knew where the gluten was. And because of a few kind of behavioral things that were going on, I realized I was being too strict on her. So we, it's kind of crept back into our life. But again, it, I will never just go and buy like a loaf of Hovis or Warburton's. It will be like Waitrose one sourdough with rye and spelt. And yes, it's expensive. But as I said, we have these as treats. Um, and yeah, I, I feel amazing. I don't, I don't know how else to kind of talk about myself without sounding really arrogant, but I feel... I don't think feeling amazing is arrogant. I think it is fantastic. And I think it's what we all strive for. And I think we all should be able to feel fantastic and amazing. And there's no reason why we shouldn't. Well, okay, some people do have reasons why they shouldn't. But, you know, the vast majority of people have the ability to, to be, feel fabulous and healthy and fit. And it's within our power to make that happen it's perfectly within our reach and you know I, I i i'm always shocked at how much we've normalized just the things that i've been talking about today like the brain fog and the memory and the and the pregnancy brain and swelling when you're pregnant and vomiting when you're pregnant and children having eczema and allergies and persistent runny noses and basically you know refusing most foods other than the kind of beige white pasta you know the white white foods that we talk about this is not normal this is not normal. If you go to, I, I use this example a lot because obviously I'm Indian and I've, so I've got a big affinity with most things to do with India. But, you know, I spent the first couple of years of my life in an Indian village and I've been back to that village in India many, many times. And like the stuff that we have normalized, it's insane. This stuff doesn't happen in these in these kind of more uh, community, tribe-like, real food places. And bearing in mind, India is like 65% vegetarians. They have huge, large amounts of wheat. But there's, some, there's lots of other things that they're doing right in these kind of village, in these village settings that make them super healthy. But we have just normalized, you know, painful periods. Oh, yeah, that's normal. Here's the pill. 
It's not normal. Get rid of that inflammation and you'll be fine. Endometriosis. You know what I mean, anyway, I could go on no, about No, it's interesting though. And I think, you know, I, I see it as society. Like we've just normalized. We have these packaged foods. It's so easy to go and buy a packet of something. And that I think is part of the problem. I think it's multifaceted, but that is part of the problem. And, you know, we can change on an individual basis, but from a cultural society point of view, until we can really change that, how many packets contain wheat and gluten, it's, it's difficult to fix this across the whole of the population. You know, I, I honestly, I find it quite depressing because for like, you know, as I said, almost um, seven, eight years now, I've been telling my patients to kind of come off gluten and, you know, just for a bit, because I'm a foodie and let's just see what happens. And, you know, for five, six, seven years, it's been working a treat. And now it's become a fad. Now it's kind of, you know, poked fun at in the news. And it's it's just depressing because, you know, you, it doesn't seem, it seems it, us well-intentional doctors are just constantly having to defend our well-thought-out decisions. And it's, it's just depressing. Gluten-free is just a fad. Well, you know, yeah, gluten-free foods are fads and they need to be gotten rid of. But, you know, why not try some millet in your chapati instead of flour? Because you know what? In the village, in, in, in India, they're using 17 types of millet amongst other, amongst other grains to make their daily chapatis. That's why they don't have these issues. You know, I don't think you should be depressed. I think I hear what you're saying, but I think it's also empowering to come and say to people, look, okay, here is the thought out reason and this is what you can do and you can do it. And I think that isn't depressing. I think that is amazing. And okay, if people want to naysay that, then that's their problem. Um, but you know, this is our message that we're giving people right now at this very moment. You can change your life and you can live a healthy and fit and fabulous life. And disease-free and exactly. medication-free. And it's not that hard. It's really not Particularly, that hard. Particularly, no, I think, I want to pick you up on that. I don't think it is hard. I think the change is hard. And change for anybody is hard. And, you know, that's where I do a lot of work on my one-on-one -on -one clients and when I get my programs developed on that. But once you're in that zone, once you've got those systems in place, then it is really easy. And I think the difficulty is that change and people are scared by that change because it's unknown and it seems complicated and it does take an effort to change. But Ash, it has been so amazing talking to you. Do you have any last words? Um, I mean, I just want to summarize, I guess, what I said. And that's like, if you, if any of this has resonated with you today, guys, just give it up. Just, just be kind of grown up about it, mature about it value your health you know if you're a parent set good examples and just give it up and see what happens okay if you if you're fine with it that's great but i still think your generic wheat products should be treated like a treat i'm not saying all grains i'm certainly not saying all carbs but wheat as it, as we know it i think needs to dramatically be reduced from our diet in general, because on, honest to God, in the eight, nine years I've been telling people to come off wheat, never, ever has one person turned around and said to me, yeah, it made no difference. Really? Everybody is literally flabbergasted as to just how amazing they feel when they come off it. So just do it. What have you, seriously, what have you got to lose? Because once you start feeling better and those inches start shedding, oh, I lost about 16 inches, by the way. That's a pretty big one that wow. I forgot to mention over my torso which I could never get rid of before. Um, so yeah, what have you got to lose? 
what have you, nothing. Yes, it is very, very tasty, bread is, and pasta and all. I, you know, I'm a foodie. But just do it for two months for your health. You'll be thankful. You'll be thankful. You'll go back to it and you'll be like, I cannot believe I used to eat a sandwich every day and then feel like rubbish afterwards. Fabulous. So there you have it. A huge thank you to Dr. Ash for coming and talking to us. Now, if you want to find out more about Dr. Ash, you can find her at her website, thebespokedoctor.com. And she's on all social media and that's her handle. Now, you can also book to have an appointment with her. She's based in London, but she also does consultations online and she has been doing functional medicine for eight years and she specifically specializes in chronic disease so things like acne and eczema abdominal issues allergies Um, so get in contact with her if you want to listening to this episode of Fit and Fabulous with me, Dr. Alina. If you enjoyed it, I would be really grateful if you could share it with a friend. Every time you share a podcast episode with a friend, it helps me to reach and help more people. Remember, you're welcome to sign up for the new me challenge. Dig out those I can't do it thoughts and replace them with, wow, this is easy and fun. You can sign up at drlina.com slash new me. That's d-r-o-r-l-e-n-a dot com slash new dash in the middle me. Have a lovely week and see you next week. Goodbye.